Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me. If that doesn't make you happy, my goodness, what are you looking for? Yeah, the new and the old. Give our media a great hand and our worship team. Oh man, sometimes we just don't know how blessed we are, amen. When you got it good, boy, you got it good. (laughs) Hey, if you'd open up your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms chapter 34, verse 8, we're going to talk about the words that David penned. Today we're going to talk about this simple phrase of feed me. How many of you guys like food? Yeah, yeah, some of the good old southern cooking, or maybe you like different types of food. Different types of food at different times, right? If I'm feeling sad, ain't nothing like a cinnamon roll to make me happy. (laughs) Maybe some fried chicken and gravy. Okay, I digress, I digress here. But David is writing here, and he's writing this about our Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. You see how he's saying create an appetite for God. Go, give your heart to Him and you'll taste and see how good He is. And then I love where He leads us to and He says, you'll go past that and you'll begin to throw yourself into Him. Well, isn't that how our appetites start? We like something and before we know it, we eat a whole lot of it, right? Sometimes good, sometimes bad. How many of you guys ever done that? Brussels sprouts. Yeah, three. Yeah, I was going to say, no, not one, but there was three. So we're going to go with that. That's great. Hey, let's bow. Father, our hearts are bowed to you. Our spirits are full of elation. God, this morning, speak to our hearts and change us, God. We pray that this word would take root. Use your servant this morning to communicate your word, that your servants would go out and change our community and our homes. Our hearts are bowed. Great God be in this place. And everyone says, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Wave at your neighbor. Say, I'm glad that you're here. Talk to them for a second. Compliment them. Guys that are listening by whatever device, thank you. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait to see you. I appreciate you being here. But what I want to talk about this morning is appetites. Appetites are good. Appetites sustain us. Amen. That's where we get our nutrients in. That's where we get our vitamins. It's interesting in the appetite of talking about the physical side of the body. Your appetite can change and it can begin to tell you some of the things that you need. Maybe your body's getting low on something and all of a sudden you have a craving for something and that could be your body telling you that you need that nutrient or that mineral. That's interesting how God formed the bodies. But regardless of whether we're talking about a spiritual appetite or a physical appetite, I want to talk about three quick things about the appetite quickly. I want to talk about how we can form an appetite, how we can feed an appetite, and how we can fight to keep that appetite. Ten years or so ago, maybe longer now, I like to say it's ten years, but the older I get, the older it is. If I keep saying ten years, I feel younger. Mary's laughing. Several years ago, one of my youth leaders got sick at a church that I was working at. And the Lord, I believe, told me to go on a 40-hour fast for that young man. Now, not 40-day, 40-hour. And to my knowledge, I hadn't really done very much fasting at that point. I'd maybe skipped a meal or two or maybe a day. Um, How many of you guys even know when you fast for 12 hours, that's pretty, pretty intense, right? Then you turn it up to 24, and it gets a little more difficult. And then you go ahead and turn that dude up to 40. And I'm here to tell you it's a lot harder than you think it is. You see some weaknesses 
And about that same time, my family was having a special event. I can't remember if it was Thanksgiving or what it was, but it was somewhere around in there. And we went to my grandparents' house when they were alive, and we were doing this family thing, and God called me to this fast, and it was right before that. And I'm going to be really honest with you guys. I, Pastor, I was counting down the minutes, man. Yeah. 38 hours, because I was trying to hold true, man. I, I know God had called me to this, so I'm asking my wife about every 15 minutes what time it is, and she gets tired of dealing with me, reminds me, it's my fast, not her fast. I know, but I need some support, baby. Right? <laughs> Anyways, we order, we order a bunch of KFC, and man, you know, you're in the middle of this dude, and you're only two hours away, and you feel like, come on now, you know? Like, would it hurt to eat one biscuit? Really? You know? That permeate the house of the smell of the biscuits and you know the butter and the honey. And you got that good old fried chicken and them sides. Good Lord. You know, I'm about to go plum hick on you guys. And it fills the house. And I'm thinking, God, I got another hour and a half, you know, crying out to him. And I just want to be honest with you. Whenever I finally got to eat that chicken, you should have seen the chicken bones, man. <laughs> yeah. My goodness, man. I had to... Uh, I did not show much restraint, but I had created an appetite. And I don't say that to say that fasting is not important. Of course, we know that it is, but sometimes your weaknesses can be pretty funny too. And uh, I was there, but I created an appetite. I was hungry. My, my stomach was churning. And that's what David is really instructing us to do. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. One of the songs that we see here is, I sing here is, I've tried everything else in the world, and now I'm coming to you. And we create these appetites and these tastes for things that are destructive, that will break us down, that will tear us down. And David points us back and says, no, go back to the Lord. Oh, taste and see. In some ways, I dare you. Because you ain't never going back, son. You know, and I know it's not like that, but boy, that's what it feels like in our spirit. But we have to form our appetite. We have to feed our appetite. And we have to fight for this appetite. And our physical appetites, we know we do the same thing. It's our diet that we change. It's what we consume to begin to form the appetite. If you're trying to become an athlete or cut down on weight or whatever it is, you need more energy. Maybe you have minerals that are in depletion and you're trying to figure out what can, you can put in your life in you begin to consume those things. And then we have to get on board and begin to feed that appetite and continuously feed that food or eat that food that supports that habit, right? And then finally, we have to fight for it. You've been doing good and you've been eating greens and salad and grilled chicken breast. And then the cinnamon roll. And you know it's warm and gooey on the inside. Oh, and it calls your name. You think the cinnamon roll is talking, and it's not. But it, you think it is, and it woos unto you. <laughs> and you guys laugh because you know I'm telling the truth. And you must fight and resist. So the cinnamon roll does not whip you. You will win the battle. You will win the fight. But this same thing in our spiritual life. We have to make an appetite for the Lord. It's... And how do we do that? We taste and see the things that God ordains, the things that God said is good, those things that we know will help us. And the hard part about that is they don't always taste good. Swallowing your pride doesn't taste good, but if you do it, you'll be in a place where God can move. Amen? Yeah, buddy. Then we've got to continuously do that. It's not just fun to do it or enough to do it one time. We've got to go back to that place and consume regularly God-honoring things. We got to consume hope. We got to consume godly direction and godly love and kindness and gentleness. Ooh, we must feast on purity. 
We can't feast on evil. We're creating the wrong appetite. Then we find ourselves, how do we sustain it? Well, you have to be careful what you watch. You have to be careful what you listen to and what you read. There's so many hidden messages in this stuff that we see. I don't know how many series my wife and I have started and then we've got four or five episodes into it and we come to agreement because of the hidden things behind it that is contrary to the Word of God. We have to cut the sitcom off or whatever. Now Mary's gotten to the point where she researches it and she tells me, you can't watch it. Why? Because in episode 6 they bring a character that does not honor God and push them to the front and we have to guard our houses and we have to guard our minds. This stuff creeps in. It's in camouflage. You guys know this, and I'm just reinforcing it in a loud tone. (laughs) But I want to concentrate for a bit on Samson here. Samson, the story of him will be found in Judges chapters 13 through 16. And Samson had some destructive appetites. He's a very complex human. He had the Spirit of God constantly moving on his life, yet because he was drawn away by himself and by some other things, there was some disappointment. There were some mistakes that was made. There were some consequences that has to be paid. And let me just say this right now by the Spirit of God. You may think you're getting away with it, but listen, there will be a reckoning. There will be a time of accountability. Yes, you can repent and and become from that. But listen, you will still harvest the seed that is sown. You've got to push yourself away from that. And here Samson is a man that the Spirit of God has rested upon. An angel, a man of God, came to his mama. He came to his father Manoah and said, Hey, you've been barren, but you're going to have a son and his name's going to be Samson. And his purpose is to be the leader who leads them out of the Philistines, who, who defeats the Philistines. He's going to be a key major player in that. And she consecrates herself. They take the Nazarite vow. Samson takes the Nazarite vow, which means he can't shave his head. He can only drink certain things and only eat certain things. And he grows up underneath that and the Spirit of the Lord begins to move on his life. He takes his first wife, which is a Philistine woman, which is contrary to his Jewish faith. The Philistines were pagan. They believed in in a different God called Dagon. They didn't believe in the one true God. And his parents were trying to convince him and saying, what are you doing? Can you not find one here? But because of desires, he finds his wife and that doesn't work out. Through a series of circumstances, he loses his wife and his father-in-law. And you begin to see his temper and his anger, anger rage. And then you begin to see his life change. And as the Spirit of God still moves on him, he kills a thousand people with the job, uh, kills a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. He does things that are incredible. At one point, he tears the gates off the city, which are considered to be 8,000 pounds, and carries them nearly 30 miles and sets them up on top of a mountain. He has amazing strength. All the while, he's feeding appetites that are destroying him. Then you find out as you read the story, and you guys are so familiar with this, I know. He goes on and he winds up getting mixed in with a harlot. And when that's not good enough, he mixes himself up with a young lady named Delilah. And ultimately, after four times, he finally fails and his strength leaves him. The Philistines capture him and take him prisoner. The ones he was meant to destroy, the ones that he was meant to defeated wound up defeating him because of his appetite now the good news is they won the victory or they won the battle but they lost the war his eyes were gouged out he was put on what they call a grinding mill it would have been a stone that 
would have gone in circles and it, many times the animals were used to push that around or to pull it to grind meal but he was so strong they took him and they put him up there to do that and they shaved his head which made him lose his strength and gouged out his eyes and then at the last point in his life they take him out and put him in front of all these Philistine pagans and they point up to him and they mock him and they make fun of him and say hey there's Samson and then in his final breath, in Judges 16, he says, Oh God, that you'd visit me one more time. And in that temple where they're mocking and making fun of him and mocking and making fun of God, and if I'm correct, the Scripture says God's not mocked. Oh God, that you would come upon him one more time. And he did, and he pushed pillars that he was chained to apart, and the temple collapsed, and he killed more Philistines in that moment than he had in his entire life. The sad part, he was meant for so much greatness, yet because of his appetite, he couldn't fully live in the greatness that God has seeded into his life. And, and every one of us, he has seeded greatness into our life. Well, how do you know that? Because we have Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And we know that. And the first appetite, as I begin to read this story, the first destructive appetite that Samson had, he had an appetite for pleasure. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. I want you to go out and find pleasure in your spouse. Find pleasure in your kids. Go out. It's okay to go to the beach. I went to the beach a couple weeks ago. Loved it. But whenever pleasure now becomes the focus and everything I seek in some way pleases me, that's not a place you want to be. And you begin to see Samson create this appetite. Even with his first wife, his parents has taught him how to be consecrated, how to separate himself. And in verse 3 of chapter 14, he tells his parents, he says, I want that woman, I want that Philistine woman. And they say, why do you want her? And this is what he says. He says, get her for me. She pleases me well. The literal translation of that is, she's right in my eyes. He doesn't care that she worships a different God, that she's in paganism, that, that, that the thing that he has been grown up to do, that he had grew up to do, now he's about to uh, leverage all of that for one relationship. I know she's pretty, guys. I know she's cute. I know he's handsome, ladies. But don't leverage your Christianity for a relationship. It's pleasure that will leave you empty. And that's what happens to him. Doesn't end good for him. And then Judges 14, he, he's walking to, to meet his wife for one of the first times and he kills a lion and he rips the carcass open and he tells no one about it. And then on his way back to see his parents, that carcass of that lion has a honeycomb inside of it. And he takes that honeycomb out and he starts eating it because he wants honey right then. The only issue is that is he's a Nazarite and he took a vow that he would not touch anything unclean or eat anything from something that's unclean. Boy, that's something that our culture could take up. Yeah, we separate ourselves, but then we watch garbage that we know is infiltrated and it comes from an unclean source. But because of pleasure, he doesn't care. And he eats it anyways. And you see this appetite that rages in him. And then we see chapter 14 where he throws a feast. Now this is not an ordinary feast. The connotation is a banquet. And the banquet is where much drinking happens and much eating. Well, he could only eat and drink certain things. And there's no doubt at this banquet, because this is what the Bible says, it was custom for young men to throw this banquet. But wait a second. He's not into customs and traditions. He's a Nazarite. He's taken a vow. We've taken a vow as Christians. That means we don't do what everybody else does. We don't go where everybody else goes, amen? I know you feel like you're on a mission, but you're not. 
You're playing with something there that you don't want to be playing with. Yeah, you're not missionary dating kids. That's not even a thing in the Bible. I'm trying to bring them closer to the Lord. No, let them find the Lord. You keep getting closer to the Lord. Can I get an amen from some parents out there? Yeah, right there. No kids are waving at me, but I'll wave at you. That's good preaching, Matt. Good preaching. Good preaching. So we find out what feels good and tastes good and looks good is not always good. Convenience is a killer, man. Ugh, convenience is a killer. But that appetite for pleasure that we have, and we see that in Samson, and he's not able to live up to his fullest ability. We also see the appetite of sin. See, whenever he digs that out of the carcass, that honeycomb, and he begins to eat it, the first thing that he does, he goes back and offers it to his parents. And you know what happens? He deceives them. He has them eat it, and he doesn't tell them where it's from because he knows they probably wouldn't eat it, or they would get onto him for breaking a vow. Children, it always starts, man. Youth, kids, you start lying to your parents. Mm Mm-mm. And he sees that deception, and he begins to grow that appetite for sin. Then we see in Judges 16, where he begins to go see a harlot. And the issue was before that, he actually tried to be married, stay married, and do what married people do. Now he's doing what married people do outside of marriage, and that's not good. That's sin, and he's creating a, an appetite for that, and it's beginning to consuming. And how do we know? Because then he hops to the next relationship that involves Delilah, and it's the same type of situation. And we see the appetite for sin grow. And that appetite for that secret sin will consume you and it will destroy you and ruin you. And this is the thing that we have to remember whenever we're talking about sin. Justification is a close companion to compromise. We begin to compromise and then we begin to justify why we're doing what we're doing. Well, I'm hurt! I hear so many people, I don't want to get married because you don't understand my last marriage. Well, that's fine, don't get married, but don't live like you're married and expect God to bless that. That's crazy! Amen, Pastor Matt. And I told you I'm not yelling. I'm just in a vibrant tone. I'm just in a vibrant tone. Here's another one. What's easy is not always the most important. See, what's easy becomes what becomes important to us, what's easy. And that got Samson in a bind. And then we see the appetite for self. Samson is becoming self-indulging if you will, he becomes so focused on himself. And this breeds insecurity, it really does. But we've all know these people, right, that are kind of into themselves. <laughs> you know, they invite you over to their house, but it's not really to show the blessings of God, it's really to show what they've earned, right? Yeah, yeah, they stand in front of the mirror at the workout place, you know. And like, all you do is stand in front of the mirror. I don't think I've seen you lift one weight, you know what I mean? I don't, you do that at home because I don't see you really do it here, I see many Instagram accounts, and I'm like, um, clothes are to cover, not reveal. I don't understand why I don't think people own very many clothes, <laughs> you know? And I know you enjoy your body, and that's, that's great. But sometimes we can be so involved in self. Ouch, that hurt. I know, I know. But we all know people like that. You know, junior hires and high schoolers, when you go out on a date and the guy is showing you his abs at the restaurant, I would go find somebody else. I'm here to eat barbecue, not see your abs, you know? Like, yeah, I work out like five times a week. Yeah, you're 15, you don't have anything else to do, that's great. But for a person, I got a job, right? I mean, you still work out five hours a day, but you know, like Chris Farley, on, can you show me? No, I'm just playing. You got, some of you guys won't get that. Some of you guys won't get that. Yeah, I brought some of you back to the day there, brother. I understand. But we see Samson become so involved in himself, man. He goes up and he goes, hey, let me pose you a riddle. Really? You want to teach me something, Samson? Okay. In chapter 14, and he's trying to bring confusion and some stuff. 
And we don't see the Spirit of the Lord working in that. We see that that's really His doing. And then when things don't work out, and he had some things that were very devastating that happened to him in chapter 15, this is what he says. He says, I'm going to take revenge on you. Really, Samson, I thought vengeance was the Lord's. Now all of a sudden, because you have the Spirit of God moving in your life, you think you're somebody. You think you're doing it all. And come on now, we can't, we can't be mad at Samson because I know that some of us, come on now, the Spirit of God has been moving and doing some things, and all of a sudden we've got to step back and say, well, it's not me. Because that stuff pulls, pulls us in. And then in chapter 16, he goes to Delilah. And they say, I want you to entice him. And it's very interesting that they use the word entice because when you go back to his first wife, he was married to and he gave the riddle. And they couldn't answer it. The same Philistines went to him and said, I want you to entice him to give us the answer. See, it shows the spiritual condition of Samson. It shows that, 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 that what does sin do? What, a sin, what, what does sin do? It entices us. It lures us. It draws us out. James 1 and 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The Philistines shows us a great picture here that your enemy is studying you. They want you. He wants you to fall. These evil spirits and stuff, they want us to collapse. And they're looking for those weaknesses. Because we know that a foothold becomes a stronghold, and a stronghold, well, that's devastating. But our enemy can see our weakness, and we see this in Samson, where they go to Delilah that first time trying to remove his strength, and he says, if you'll get some fresh bow strings, which were made out of animal intestines, which fresh ones would be considered stronger than old ones. And he says, if you'll tie me up, then I'll lose my power. What is he doing? He's showing some contempt here. He's showing some selfishness that I can get it done. I can get through it. See, he's entertaining some things that he don't need to be entertaining. The second time, Delilah comes to him and continues to press. And he says, fine, if you'll just take new ropes and tie me up, then I'll lose my strength. And sure enough, they do that. See how he's toying with them and he's playing with them? Instead of just looking at her and saying, listen, I'm not going to tell you. He doesn't do that. He engages in sin here. And then finally, the third tempt, his hair is wove together and locks on the loom. And he says, if you'll do that, then I'll lose my strength. And sure enough, he went to sleep and she began to weave his hair. And I think that shows a great picture of where Samson was actually at physically. See, he was caught in his own web as a grasshopper is caught in a spider's web. He had weaved himself emotionally into Delilah. He had weaved himself emotionally into this harlot. He had weaved himself emotionally into causing revenge and destruction. Now he's in a place that he can't get out of. And we can do that too. Because that appetite of self will weave us into a place that we can't get out of. And when we entertain sin, we become involved in sin. And when we become involved in sin, we fall to sin. Proverbs 11 and 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. And he was far from humble. He wouldn't get it out of his house. You, you wonder why so many pastors say, listen, you can't toy with this stuff. you got to get it out of your house. And I'm so proud of some guys that have gotten some stuff off their cell phones and, and alleviated even the opportunity to go in places that they don't need to go, and women as well. And there's still more of us that could do that. We stop the jokes. We don't entertain the jokes that are nasty and despicable before God. We stop the conversations that will lead to destruction and tearing people down. 
For some of you guys, as I was praying for you, some of you guys, you have the phone call and somebody tells you that it's your fault where they're at. It's your fault of what you've done. Yet you've tried to raise them in a godly home. You've tried to encourage them or inspire them and engage them. Let me tell you something. Hang up the phone. In the conversation, we've got to get rid of those things because we're trying to go forward. Now, it doesn't mean we're mean and we're nasty and we're ugly. But listen, we're not going to entertain that negative stuff. But so many times in our culture, we entertain this stuff. Paul was writing to his friends in Corinth in chapter 10, verse 5, and he says, listen, we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, thought every, uh, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul was not into fooling with this stuff. He goes, listen, some guys are going to come up and say that they're smarter than God. There's going to be some arguments that arise in your head that says what you're doing is not what you need to be doing, that God's not real or this religion is more. Listen, we cannot entertain those. We don't need to go read a book about it or a blog or watch a video about it we got to get that stuff out and find our focus on Jesus Christ because we want to cast down and tear down every argument we don't leave any of it and then when our mind starts floating we don't let it float we take it captive and say no through the power of Jesus Christ see sin goes to the heart in Judges 16 and 17 with his final stance with Delilah he says a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God my, from my mother's room. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And it's very interesting what the Scripture says about Delilah in verse 18. It says, when she has seen that he told all his heart. See, they're pressing in and trying to take his secret, trying to take that thing that God gave him. And he's in that point where he's toying with it and he winds up surrendering it. We cannot toy with pleasures. We cannot toy with self. We cannot toy with these things that will set themselves up against God because it's just a matter of time. There will be a day of reckoning. And it's a heart issue. That's the reason why we go back to heart, but we see that there is hope. There is hope for us. If you've been in that situation and you know what I'm saying right now, you're thinking about it. Listen to me, there's hope. Samson was pressed by his wife. He was pressed by the Philistines. He was pressed by Delilah and ultimately eaten. But in the New Testament, we understand what Paul is writing about Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are not perplexed. We are not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we have our appetite faced on Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. It's not on pleasures. It's not on sin. It's not on self. And whenever we do that and say, God, I want all of you that I can handle then when I'm perplexed, I will not fail. When I am crushed, I will make it through. I will feel abandoned, but I will know that my Savior is with me. And that's encouraging news. So there's hope, so don't you lose hope. Here in a second, we're going to have an altar call. And you might have answered the call to call 50 times. Do it again. Do it again. Maybe you didn't ask to be on the stage that you're on. There's something that's happened in your life and you didn't ask for it. Man, you were taking your appetites and throwing them before the Lord and trying to feast yourself on Him and then something has come out of nowhere and knocks you down. You don't get discouraged because God is with you. See, whenever we make this appetite to honor God, things begin to change. And that's the appetite that we have to concentrate on. 
Whenever Samson had his eyes gouged out and he was on that stone and he was rolling it around and he was grinding, I wonder how many times he had to think back about how God was good in his life. Some of you guys know what that feels like. You've messed up and God has taken you through some stuff. And in that moment that he's trying to rebuild you, in that moment that he's got you finally quiet, he can speak to you. See, Samson had his eyes gouged out. But let me tell you something, when he came out on the other side, he didn't see like he saw before anyways. And I'm telling you guys, you will not see like you saw before. You stay put where you're at. If God has you in that place where he's building you, you put down that firm foundation in those roots and you say, God, I'm going to feast on you. But I wonder how many times as he was going around, he began to remember what God had done for him. And we begin to see that his appetite to honor God was always there. It was just suppressed. Sometimes in our life, that's what we do. Our appetite for pleasing God is there, but we've kind of filled it with these other things that doesn't make sense. I think about the influence of Samson's mama in Judges 13. How the angel of the Lord comes, or the man of God comes before his mom and says, you're gonna, you've been barren, but you're going to bear a son. And his job is to lead these guys out of the hands of the Philistines. And then he, she goes home and tells Manoah, Samson's father. And, and he immediately prays and said, could you send this man back? I want to talk to him. I want to know how to teach my son before he gets here. And then the man comes back and they sit down. They said, we want to feed you. See, what they're doing is they're creating this appetite that's showing they want to entertain the presence of God. They want to entertain God in their house and in their home and in their life. They say, we want to feed you. And the angel says, no, make a sacrifice. Make a burnt offering and make a grain offering. And that's what they do. And in a great, majestic spirit of God, that man of God, that angel of God, goes through the flames and up to heaven. And they get to see something nobody's seen, but you see that they had a heart to honor God. You've said something into my life, God, and now I'm going to do it. And there is somewhat funny in there whenever Manoah is talking to his wife, and she goes, he goes, man, surely we're going to die. We've seen God. Have you guys ever known somebody you got to talk off the cliff? You know what I'm talking about? She's talking him off the cliff. He goes, surely we're going to die. And his wife was like, no, we're not. <laughs> There's no way that God showed us these things and spoke to us about these things to not let us walk through them. And that's what I'm here to speak to you. There's no way that God has brought you as far as he's brought you for you to turn around and go back. Let's think of Manoah's wife. Listen, Manoah, I've been barren and I've got a promise and I'm going to hold on to it. I've been honoring God and now he's promised me a son. I've been waiting for this my whole life. You just keep your lips to yourself. <laughs> yeah, some of us might need to do that. Because God's birthed something in you. He's given you something. you got some outside forces and they're not meaning any harm. They just may be a little bit confused. And you got to go back and say, no, God has brought me this far. He's not going to take me back. See, this appetite of honoring God, we see in Samson that it's very real. We see that it turns into an appetite of victory. And there's one thing that I've learned. If people can get the taste of winning, it sure is hard to get it out of their mouth. I've seen that through sports teams and all kinds of things, and we see this appetite of victory. This appetite of victory. Now, we know that our victory comes through Jesus Christ. 
Now, Waylon, forgive me. This is going to be bad, okay? But I'm just going to quote it, okay? I'm not going to sing it, okay? You know that old song? I'm just warning him. You know that old song, Victory in Jesus? You want me to sing it? Better not sing it. Yeah, you want me to sing it? <laughs> oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, that brought you back, didn't it? And we know about victory in Jesus. My wife was telling me a story a while back about my sister-in-law. She was just a little bitty girl, probably five or six years old. And they'd be singing victory in Jesus in church. She got the words mixed up. She started singing big trees in Jesus, right? And then instead of he sought me and he bought me, it was he socked me and he boxed me. Have you ever wondered, what in the world are you thinking? You know, big trees in Jesus, you know. Perfect praise. But I think she was on to something there. I really do because the more I find out about the victory of Jesus, the more I realize that it costs something. I realize that it's going gonna, it's gonna to separate me. It's going to cause me to change and be different. And some of those times in victory, I'm going to feel like I'm socked and I'm boxed by Jesus Christ. But that's just the rod of correction. That's okay. Because better is one day in his house. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, God, if you have to correct me to bring me back, that's okay. Better is one day. It's going to feel like you're being socked and boxed sometimes. Peter said, don't be surprised by fiery trials. This is to test you. Rejoice in Christ's sufferings. And he goes, you're blessed because the Spirit of God is on you. Why? Because you've been insulted. And the good news is God's Spirit rests upon you. See, victory causes us to look differently at what we're going through. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes and he says, listen, you've got to remain steadfast. Why would he say that? Because you're going to have some things come at you. He's saying, Timothy, listen to me. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be a separation. There's going to be a difference. Oh, but in verse 12 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't pull any punches. You're looking at your life and you're saying, oh my goodness, can I say congratulations? You've got the Spirit of God resting on your life. So to the person who's trying to become stronger in Christ, it seems like you pray when nobody else is praying. It seems like you fast when everybody else eats. It seems like you cry when everybody else is laughing. Congratulations. This is what victory looks like. Your appetite is changing. You will no longer succumb to just convenience or what's easy, but we will seek after what is important to the one who's becoming financially stable. It seems like you're spending on only what you need and not what you want. Congratulations, you're getting your stuff together. You're doing less, but you're saving more. That's what victory looks like. But everyone around you is spending, yet you're pinching pennies. That's what true victory looks like. To the teen who's trying to live in the broken world, you seem rejected while everybody else seems accepted. You're giving up all kinds of nights when it seems like all your friends are going out. Can I say congratulations? Because Christianity will cost you Friday and Saturday nights. People say that you're bougie, but really you're poor in spirit. You're not trying to be better than somebody. You're trying to do what God has called you to do. And to the one who's encountered great loss, you pray and you seek God as though he's standing right beside you, but you've never felt more alone. You give and you give, but it seems like all God's done is taken. But you remain in the spirit of giving. That's what victory looks like. You trust God 
and you're walking through pain, but there doesn't seem to be a plan for the pain, but you trust him anyways. And this is hard because there is no confetti falling from the ceilings. There is no horns blowing. There is nobody celebrating. It doesn't look like what we're used to seeing victory look like. But let me tell you, friend, you hang on. You keep going because God is taking that greatness in your life and moving you to a new plane. And I know that you've messed up, but he's a forgiving God. I know you didn't ask for the stage that you're on, but he's taking you somewhere. Judges 16 and 28 as we close. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh God, that I may avenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And in that moment, as he was chained to those two pillars and he cried out to God, God, one last time, he pushes those pillars apart and the temple collapses and he does more in that moment of sacrifice than he does in his entire life. And for you, this altar call this morning is for you. You've been having some struggles in your life. You, your appetite's been changing and you've fallen. Listen, you say one more time, God, I'm going to come down to the altar. I'm going to kneel. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek your face just one more time to the one who's on your stage and you didn't ask to be there. Keep trusting him one more time. Know that you can lean into him one more time. Because this is the good news. You know what Scripture says? Scripture says that Samson's hair began to grow back. See, this embarrassment that you've been facing because you've repented, that's a good thing. But it's not going to stay with you forever. The shame is going to be chased away. The inadequacies will fall. You're coming back to a point in the Spirit of God that He is going to restore you and take you to that next place. But you've got to do it one more time. Why? Because you're creating that appetite that I'm going to honor God and I'm going to walk in victory. To the one suffered loss and feel like you've just been battered by the waves. And you feel like Samson. You're up on the stage and you're mocked at and you're scoffed at and you laughed and you feel like the enemy is making fun of you. Just believe in your spirit, God, one more time. One more time, I know you have the spirit inside of me to do what I need to do to beat the very thing that was going to destroy me. But you have to believe one more time. Here in a second, as we call the altar call, you're going to feel like you don't need to answer it. And this is not to get more people down. Let me clarify that. Because I've been there. And there's more reasons not to than there are to. But we're not into self, we're not into sin, we're not into pleasure. God, I'm creating an appetite that honors you. And for some, you need to get some of those appetites out of your life. And I know you've tried and tried again, try again. God gives grace to the humble. And to the one who's walking through that situation that you didn't ask for, Keep believing for one more time. Would you stand with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.